Well, we, uh, we got the grandson graduated, made it back from California, and I told him when we left that it, this didn't have anything to do with him necessarily, but unless there's a wedding, I'm not going back to Los Angeles ever again. So I encourage him that if there might be a wedding, that it be a location wedding. Let's have it somewhere else, like liberal. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, it was a good time. We had a, had a great trip and always good to be home. And thank, so thankful for Curtis Nestegard, who I'm sure did such a great job filling in last week. Curtis and Jewel are such wonderful people and uh, we are blessed to have an association with them. If you would turn to your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 9, and while you're doing that, either on your smartphone or in your Bible, how many of you know that I'm a baseball fan? I guess I should ask how many of you could not know that I'm a baseball fan. In fact, I'm a huge, huge baseball fan, so much so that I consider the Super Bowl to be the beginning of spring training. Uh, that's, that's how I view baseball in comparison to football. I, I, I've been a baseball fan since I was five years old. But I want to share something with you prior to getting into the meat of my message this morning that Probably not many of you know about baseball, uh, and, and the story itself probably is going to be boring to some of you, but the message within the story is my topic for today. It's the story of a former baseball player whose name was Eddie Stanky. How many of you have ever heard of Eddie Stanky? One, two? Good, we have a couple. Uh, back in 1999, Eddie Stanky died at the age of 83, and uh, his playing career actually ended before I was born. However, Stanky became the manager of the Chicago White Sox during the 60s, and that just happened to be at the time that I was developing a, a, a love for the sport of baseball. And according to other players who played with Stanky while he was still active as a player, he was this pugnacious, pennant-winning second baseman. Uh, he played for 11 seasons with the Brooklyn Dodgers, the Boston Braves, and the New York Giants. Now, that tells you how long ago he played because none of those teams are in existence today. Brooklyn Dodgers, of course, moved to Los Angeles the Boston Braves moved to Milwaukee, and then they moved to Atlanta, and now they're the Atlanta Braves. And the New York Giants, of course, became the San Francisco Giants. All of that took place back in the 50s. So that tells you how long ago Eddie Stanky played. Uh, but he had a, a general manager when he played for the Brooklyn Dodgers whose name was Branch Rickey, one of the most well-known ba baseball names in history. Branch Rickey said this about Eddie Stanky. He said, and I quote, he can't run, he can't hit, and he can't throw. But if there's a way to beat the other team, 
he'll find it. Couldn't run, couldn't hit, and couldn't throw. Now, I've been a baseball fan, like I said, since I was five years old, and I'm pretty sure that that's just about all there is to do on a baseball field. (laughs) But despite that description of his playing abilities, winning teams wanted Eddie Stanky as their second baseman. Why? Because as Branch Rickey said of Eddie Stanky, and which he eventually proved when he became a manager of the Chicago White Sox, if there was a way to beat the other team, Stanky would find it. Now, I want you to keep that thought in mind as you hear the words that I believe God has laid upon my heart for you this morning. Someone once said, a man who who wants to do something will find a way. If he doesn't want to do that something, whatever it is, he'll find an excuse. Um, In our text this morning from Luke chapter number 9, Jesus gives us some words that I think speak directly to what I've just shared with you. Beginning in verse number 21. All right, let's start in verse number 23. Let's do that. Then Jesus said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but are yourself lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. And then he adds this, I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. I think what Jesus is saying is, he's telling his disciples that he's not looking for people who are looking for excuses. He's looking for people who want to do something for Jesus and for the kingdom so badly that they will find a way to do it. Now what does that mean? Well, among other meanings, it means to regard something else to be more important than yourself. That something else, in this case, means, a, means that we place a higher priority on what Jesus wants than on what we want. Back in the Sermon on the Mount from the early chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said it this way. He said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously And he will give you everything you need. Now, a lot of folks look at those words that I just shared with you from Jesus, and and they think that that's some kind of suggestion. They prefer to read it like this. If I want to seek his kingdom first, that's okay. And if I don't want to seek his kingdom first, that's okay too. But I'm telling you, that is not what Jesus meant. 
In fact, it wasn't a suggestion by Jesus. I believe it was more like marching orders that Jesus was giving to his people. How do I know it wasn't a suggestion? Because of what we read from Luke chapter number 9. If any of you wants to follow me or be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Now, if you are going to follow Jesus, your first priority must be your, prior, your first priority, let me say it this way, is his kingdom and his righteousness. And if those aren't your priorities, then you're just a fan of Jesus and not a follower. And that is our sermon series title, Fans or Followers. A few weeks ago when we started this series, I shared with you that fans stick around as long as things go their way. And if things don't go their way, a fan will walk away. Whereas followers, by contrast, stick around and they stick it out. Because it isn't about them. It's about the one that they follow. The one that they seek first in their lives. The one who they have made a priority in their lives. And if you remember, I use this as an illustration. You can see fans at just about any football or baseball game or basketball game and they're the ones that, when their basketball team is down by 30 points with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter, they pick up their coats and head toward the car. Why? Because they came to see their team win, not lose. They weren't there for their team. Their team was supposed to be there for them. And when that didn't happen, they walk away. They're not there for the team. What a phrase that is. They're not there for the team. So who is the team when it comes to followers of Jesus? You know, there are a number of followers out there who believe that all they need is to be committed to Jesus. And they want to believe that they don't need to, to be committed to anything or anyone else. And you know what? I understand that because we just read that Jesus said, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. We are, call we are called to deny ourselves, pick up our cross daily, and follow him. So I understand where they're coming from when they make those kinds of statements. He said, I tell you the truth. There are some right, standing here right now who will not die before they see the kingdom of God. And what that tells me is that some of those disciples, some of those who were following Jesus at that particular moment, were still going to be alive and see the kingdom of God come to pass. Uh, in Mark chapter 9, verse number 1, Jesus said pretty much the same thing. He said there, I tell you the truth. Some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. Mark, the writer, adds that to what Luke had already said. The kingdom will arrive in great power. And some of those standing right there when Jesus made that remark we're going to see it happen with their own eyes. So, when might that power that those followers of Jesus, obviously 2,000 years ago, they're dead now, 
When might that power have come and they were witnesses to it? Well, after Jesus rose from the dead, what did he tell his disciples to do? He said to them, stay here in the city, meaning the city of Jerusalem, until the Holy Spirit comes and he fills you with power from heaven. He even told them in the Great Commission, Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. They'd been promised that they would see the kingdom of God come with power. And on Pentecost, they received that power. Therefore, we can conclude that the kingdom of God came at Pentecost, right? So, what was this kingdom of God that Jesus was speaking about? Look around real quick. You're looking at it. The kingdom of God is the church. If you'd prefer me to say it this way, we, meaning you and I, are the team. We are the team. And what am I saying by saying that? Part of picking up my cross daily, part of following Jesus, is making the church a priority in my life. Now, I want you to listen very carefully. The church is not to be a priority on the same level as making Jesus a priority. Can we all agree with that? But, and this is very important, trying to separate Jesus from the church requires a great deal of discipline. And I'll, I'll touch on that more in just a moment. But first, I want us to do a little exercise this morning. And I'm going to ask for a show of hands when I ask this question. How many of you have ever heard someone say, I can be just as good a Christian without going to church? Just about everybody in the room. I can be just as good a Christian without going to church. Well, you've heard it, but I'm telling you this morning, that's a lie. It's a lie. No one can be just as good a Christian without being part of a church. And again, I hope you're listening intently because, granted, you can be a Christian without going to church and being part of a local church congregation, but you can't be just as good a Christian without going to church and being a part of a local congregation. So let me put that all in perspective for you. And Paul does a great job. Paul does a great job in explaining this from the priority aspect. In Ephesians chapter number 5, Paul talks about the relationship, not only between husbands and wives, but between Jesus and his church. And, and listen to what he says, beginning with verse number 25. Husbands are told to love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her, again, speaking of the church, to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives 
as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. We are members of his body. Can you grasp what that passage is saying? Jesus loves the church, his bride, so much that he has invested himself in her. He's constantly working inside the church to mold us and to shape us into the radiant and holy bride that he desires for us to be. Jesus is not distant from his church. He's constantly devoted to making us what he wants us to be. And it's that type of priority that Jesus has placed upon his church. Again, the question, who are, who's his church? We are. Those of us who are his followers, we are his church. We are his bride that he's going to come back and take to be with him forever. He makes the church a priority. On his, he's making the kingdom a priority. And the question that I want to ask is, shouldn't we be just as committed to making the church as successful and beautiful as Jesus is? I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm not talking about striking a notch in your belt every time you're here. I'm talking about making the church beautiful. Making the church attractive, and neither am I talking about this building or this room. I'm talking about making our lives holy and blameless and attractive to the world. You know, one of the things that concerns me as a pastor is we try to integrate more of the world into the church so people will be more comfortable when they're in the church. We mess that up somewhere. We are the church that's supposed to go out into the world and affect the world in a positive way. Now, I, I, realize, I realize that there are things that, that we incorporate in church that, that make us relevant, and I, I understand the importance of that. But friends, it pales in importance to what we as the church ought to be doing out in the world. People should not have a negative connotation of Christianity or the church. In fact, they should have an attraction to the church. I have said it this way, we the church ought to be like bugs attracted to a bright light. You know what? <laughs> a bug will, at night... We used to do this for entertainment. This is how you know I'm from southwest Kansas. Used to sit out on the driveway, and we had one of those little electric, we called them buggers. And, and the mosquitoes and the June bugs and all of their neighbors would come, and they would hit that electric light, and they would fall down where there was a big old toad there, waiting for them to snatch them up with their tongue. That was our entertainment in southwest Kansas. But just as that light attracted the bugs, we as the church ought to attract the darkness of this world. We shouldn't have, they shouldn't have a negative connotation of us. They should want what we have. 
And the way that we do that is we make ourselves as beautiful and attractive as is possible. He's looking for a holy church without spot or wrinkle or any type of blemish. God help us if we put a blemish on the church. We should be doing exactly the opposite. Jesus has placed a priority. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Christianity was never meant to be a lone ranger type of religion. Um, if that, that, that's why I'm going to use a term. It may... If have any English teachers in the congregation, you don't have to pardon me for a minute. Just bite your tongue and I'll be done in a minute with this. But we should have an emphasis on what I call one anothering in the church. Here's what I mean by that. The Bible tells us these things, and I'm going to go through these real fast. They're not on your sermon notes on the smartphone app. Uh, but I, I'm going to give them to you real fast and I'll give you the reference we are to love one another, John 13, 34. We are to be devoted to one another, Romans 12, 10. We are to live in harmony with one another, Romans 12, 16. And we are to accept one another, Romans 15, 7. We are to serve one another, Galatians 5, 13. We are to bear one another's burdens, Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1. We are to be kind and compassionate to one another, Ephesians 4, 32. And we are to submit to one another, Ephesians 5, 21. And on and on and on it goes, one anothering. I'm going to try this. I don't know if it'll work. You can't do one anothering if there's not one another around to do some one anothering to. You can't do this one anothering all by yourself. You've got to have one another there. Don't ask me to do it again. I got through it the first time. And you know what? You can't get more one another's together in one place than you have right here at church. All of those things that I listed about one anothering, we should be doing that for each other. Loving one another. Submitting to one another. Bearing one another's burdens. One anothering. You see, friends, if we love Jesus, the body of believers, this body of believers, should be a pretty high priority to us. Amen? Uh, if, if we don't love Jesus then the church will become a place where we just sit. And that's what fans do. Fans just sit at ball games. Well, they, they, they do cheer. They, they buy hot dogs and soft drinks. But that's about it. There are people who do that at church as well. They just sit there waiting to have their spiritual appetite satisfied. And the truth of the matter is, too many of them often aren't even hungry. They just come to church because that's what you do on Sunday, or that's what they've been brought up to do. And then they just sit. The question is, why? Why do they just sit? Well, first of all, that's what they've been trained to do, to just sit. If you don't believe that, you're sitting out there and you're facing the same direction looking at me. 
right? When you do that long enough, it's easy for you to begin, uh, to begin to think that church is a spectator sport, thinking that you're the cheering section and I and anybody else that's up here on the stage are the performers. But if you're growing in your faith, as followers of Jesus ought to be doing, you begin to realize that this isn't all there is to being a part of a local church. There are times when you need to be involved in making things happen and working for Jesus. There's also another reason why people in church often just sit. It's because there are a lot of folks who don't feel that they've got anything to add or contribute to the work of the church, so they don't. If you don't believe me, let's try another experiment. Be honest. Answer these questions that I'm getting ready to ask you. How many of you wouldn't be comfortable singing a special in church? Come on, raise them up high. Nothing to be ashamed of. Question number two. How many of you can't play an instrument? Question number three. How many of you don't know enough about computers to help out in the sound booth? How many of you would be intimidated if I asked you to teach a Sunday school class? How many of you wouldn't know what to do if I asked you to give an offering devotional on Sunday? We're good. Not near as many. So with all those hands raised, what good are you? No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> Here's the reality. That's how a lot of folks think. I don't do all those things, so therefore I have nothing to contribute. They think I can't do this, and I can't do that. So I've really nothing to contribute, so I'll just sit here and cheer, and that'll be my contribution. Again, you remember what I told you they said about Eddie Stanky? He can't run, he can't hit, and he can't throw. And there are many people in the church who figure that they, spiritually speaking, can't hit, can't run, and can't throw, so they think, what difference could I possibly make? Let me tell you something. If that's how Eddie Stanky had thought, nobody would have wanted him on their team. But you see, friends, Jesus isn't looking for people with talent. He's looking for someone who will do whatever it takes to make a difference in the world for him and the church in the kingdom of God. Neither is Jesus looking for people with ability. He's looking for folks who have availability. Again, Jesus said, you need, to, you need to catch this. Don't, don't miss this. He said, if anyone, did you catch it? If anyone would come after me and follow. Do you realize the ones who came after him and followed were fishermen? Uneducated fishermen, by the way. Dishonest tax collectors, prostitutes, all kinds of unworthy folks 
And why did they do it? Because Jesus said, anyone can follow me. Anyone. Now, I shared this with you a couple weeks ago, but I'm going to use it here again for effect. It has to do with what life was back in, like back in Jesus' day. Jesus himself was a rabbi, and rabbis back then were a special class of people. They knew the Bible inside and out. Most people of that day didn't end up being students of rabbis because these candidates for students of rabbis had to be a cut above everybody else. They had to have an extensive knowledge of the scriptures and they would constantly be quizzed by their rabbi to find out just exactly how much they knew. Let me tell you what the questions were for some of those quizzes. They would sometimes be asked to recite an entire book of the Old Testament. Wow. Or for example, they would be asked to to answer how many times the name of the Lord was used in Leviticus chapter number 11. And it wasn't an open book test. They had to know. So when I tell you that not just anyone could be a student of famous rabbis because they had to be a cut above the rest, you can understand what I mean. But Jesus said again, again, anyone can be his follower. Fishermen, tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes didn't have to have an extensive knowledge of the Bible to follow Jesus. They didn't need to be able to answer all the Bible questions on some TV game show. They didn't need to be able to recite all the books of the Bible in order. They they didn't need to know the names of the 12 minor prophets. He just said, anyone who wants to follow me. Now that doesn't mean there weren't requirements because there were. And he told them about it, told us about it right there in the same place. One qualification that you had to meet in order to follow Jesus. If anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And then he tells them why. He said, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, for Jesus' sake, you'll save it. What's he saying? He's saying it doesn't matter how much you know or how much you're skilled at. It's how much are you willing to do for me. I read a story as I was researching illustrations for this message. And the one that seemed the most appropriate was the story of an advertising tycoon whose name was Albert D. Lasker. Lasker requested that one of his top executives move from the state of California to New York to staff the office there. The man refused. So Lasker decided he needed to take a new approach. And so he thought about it for a couple of days. And he called the executive on the phone and he said, You know what? I've just made my last will and testament. And I have designated you to succeed me as the CEO of this business. 
And that means that when I die, you will have to leave California and come to New York. Do you agree? Well, yes, the man said. Lasker wanted to make sure. He says, you would do that for me? Well, of course, the man replied. Lasker then says this. You would do that for me when I'm dead? Yes. Then why won't you do it for me while I'm alive? And with that, the executive relented and agreed to the move before Lasker died. Now, I tell you that story because I want to ask the question, what made the difference for that executive in the way that he answered Lasker's request? What was it that made the difference? Why was he not willing to move before and then changed his mind when he heard that he was going to become the CEO after Lasker's death? It was because he believed something was in the near future, something that would dramatically change his life for the better. And once he believed that, his entire attitude changed. Are you with me? Let me pose a question to you. If by some miracle, every one of us in this room were informed today that Jesus was going to return within the year 2019, would it make a difference in the way that you're living? Would you be willing to take on a ministry that you've never considered doing before if you knew that the world were going to end in the next 12 months? Knowing that if you took on that ministry, it might impact the lives of the very people who are closest to you. Would you be willing to do it if you knew that was the reality? Oh, here's a good one. If you knew that Jesus was going to come in the year 2019, would you forgive that person that you've hated for years? Would you reach out to that friend or loved one that you knew was going to end up in hell if their life was to end by death or when Jesus returned or if the world ended suddenly? Would you go to them? Would you share the good news of Jesus with them? Here's probably the most important question. Again, if, you, we, if we knew that Jesus is coming back this year and you're here this morning and you haven't yet made a decision to be Jesus' follower, would that impact your decision today? Would you decide that it's time to act on your belief that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died on a cross for your sins and that He rose from the dead three days later? If so, if you make that confession according to Romans 10.9, you will be saved. Would you be willing to repent of your sins and turn your life around 
so that it was pleasing to Jesus? Would you be willing to make Jesus the highest priority of your life? Give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow. Would you bow with me, please? Musicians, would you come, please? Lord Jesus, as evidenced by the silence in this room, these are thought-provoking questions. Now, while we don't have knowledge that you are going to come in the calendar year 2019 or that the world is going to end within the next 12 months or that we will have one more day to live on this earth, none of us know that. But Lord Jesus, it's a chance that we just can't take because that decision whether or not to be your follower is going to be a decision that affects us for all eternity. And that's a long time. So, Holy Spirit of God, I'm asking you again to search each heart in this room this morning. Search the hearts of those, Lord, who have never made the decision to become your follower. Search the hearts of those who, are, who have become willing to sit in the stands as a fan rather than getting into the game, being a part of the team. And Lord, I, I confess to you, and you've heard me, heard me say this on many occasions, but the church, your church, it does have a lot of problems. There are some who don't represent your church very well. There are some who, who leave a blemish on what the world knows to be your church. But nonetheless, that's the, that's the venue by which you have chosen to be your primary instrument of sharing your good news with the lost of this world. And so, Lord, even the church with its problems, there, there is no perfect church to be found in terms of the local congregation. But even with all the problems that exist in, in some of those local congregations, we are your church. And you long, your deepest desire is to make us presentable while we're still here to prepare ourselves for the day when you take us to be your bride. Holy Spirit, move in our midst this morning. As always, every head bowed, every eye closed, this is not a time
to be looking around. But if you're here this morning and you've never made the decision to become a follower of Jesus, but based upon the word that you have heard this morning, you think today would be a good time, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for for your journey. Anyone, anywhere. Thank you, Jesus. Everyone here is a follower. And I thank you for that, Jesus. Second question. You're here this morning and you've become content to sit on the sidelines rather than getting in the game. Jesus said, anyone can be my follower, but you have to give up your way. You have to take up the cross if necessary, and we're going to be talking about that more next week, about what it means to take up your cross. But for today, the question is, are you willing to give up your way for the sake of Jesus' way? If that's you, raise your hand. I'm willing to give up my plans for the sake of Jesus' plans. Yes, hands all over the room. Thank you. Thank you. Let's stand to our feet. (coughs) We sang a song earlier. The musicians are now playing. Whether it's a decision to give your heart to Jesus or whether it's a decision to no longer be content with sitting on the sidelines but rather getting into the game and being a part of the team what it requires is just what Jesus told us in Luke chapter number 9 give up your own way or surrender I surrender my way to your plans let's sing it together